This is the ASU Pick 6 Podcast with Doug Haller and Jeff Metcalf. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and download the ASU Extra app on the Apple App Store and Google Play for in-depth coverage all season long. Greetings and welcome to the ASU Pick 6 Podcast. We are in the midst of July, but we're getting, what is the date anyway? July July 18th. July 18th. Uh, I'm Doug Haller, as always, along with Jeff Metcalf. July 18th, that means Pac-12 Media Day is a week from today, Jeff, in Hollywood. Uh, getting excited about that. And then, uh, you know what, we're about two weeks away from, from the start of all this, really getting going, the start of football season. Uh, I have a little bit left I want to do, and technically I'm off this week, but uh, I, I'm, but I'm, here I'm, we are. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to get this going. Um, I think some of the um, uh, media days for some of the other conferences have already have yeah. already started oh. like the sec goes on for yeah. about a month yeah. for their media the, days <laughs> the sec started actually in june so they're just <laughs> wrapping up but yeah the pac-12 media day is only one day this week they they went to two and I, I really don't think the coaches liked being there for so long um you know i think they just would rather get it out of the way in one day which i would too actually so uh that's good but we, we wanted to jump on and do a podcast and i imagine we'll probably do one more before the start of camp but a lot of things have been happening. Um, I, I don't know if you've been noticing. I, I really hope you have noticed. <laughs> but Jeff and I have been doing um, writing stories on Herm Edwards. It's a four-part series. We talked in our last podcast about you know sitting down with Herm and some things that we learned. And we just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, our conversation with Herm, our reporting of people we've talked to, what we've learned about him, what was our goal to kind of tell the story or tell his story the way we did um, from that we'll transition to the Camp Tanazona news which is unfortunate they're not they canceled Camp Tanazona this year and then we'll finish up uh, depending on how long we go with all this stuff uh, we'll go into I, I went hiking I don't know if you saw this but I went hiking with Bobby Hurley not too long ago uh, that was a really interesting few hours on a hot uh, summer morning uh, I, I was jealous. <laughs> I want to actually wish you had told me because I would have tagged along. <laughs> Did I not tell you? Yeah. No, uh, you didn't tell me you were doing it. I love the story, but I wish I had gone with you. Oh yeah, I guess I should have told you. Yeah, my, uh, that's my mistake. I, I don't. I usually don't try to keep secrets from Jeff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess he was surprised when he saw it in the newspaper, like a lot of other people. But anyway, Jeff, let's start with with the Herm stories and what we did when when we sit down with him. Um, I think it was uh, early June. Was it June? Okay. Yeah, yeah. We've alluded to it a couple times and and sort of hinted that there was a lot of anecdotes, a lot of good stories. And I hope for people that have read, the the third part is available online now. The first first part's been in the paper. So they're kind of spreading it out. (laughs) Right. In terms of uh, when it's available. But... um, I hope people have found that what we suggested uh, about his background is indeed very intriguing. I know that's how I found it, and I think you did too. Fascinating guy. When we went to sit down with him, we were scheduled for we were booked for one hour, and I think we I think we had to shut it off. I had somewhere to be after two hours, <laughs> you know. And I think if we probably would we probably could have kept on talking. Uh, yeah, I was really um, very. Um, thankful I guess that he gave us that much time because we had so much ground to cover and you and I had talked ahead of time how are we possibly going to do this in an hour we were trying to get our questions lined up and okay at some point we're going to have to signal to each other (laughs) we're (laughs) going to have to move this along switch to another topic (laughs) because Herm can just go on and on 
you know, without needing much provocation. And, um, and yet he was very generous with this time and can't thank him enough for that. He's a great storyteller, which of course, as a reporter, you love that. Uh, he can kind of put, he can kind of set the scene of his, uh, of when he's telling stories and actually give you dialogue, <laughs> you know, about what, what he, what Dick Vermeil said, what he said, what Don Shula said. Um, the problem was when we walked out of there, and I remember actually walking through the football offices um, after the interview thinking like, we can't tell this in one story. I mean, it's just too, and we had an idea that that was probably gonna be the case. Uh, so what we did, we decided to tell it in four stories. Jeff took the first two. The first was about Herb's upbringing, um, living in a biracial family. Uh, yeah, I think, I think the thing that stood out to me the most was the era that he grew up in, which <clears throat> was the 60s, um, civil rights era, basically, um, as the son of biracial parents uh, who his father had been in the military. And <clears throat> when his, Herm was actually born in the United States, but then they were in Germany for a while, they came back. And when they came back, his father, who had grown up in Memphis, I believe, they, I think there was some feeling, this is what I had, that they would have liked for him to have been stationed in the South. Right. But the marriage actually wasn't recognized at that time in the South. So <clears throat> instead they ended up in the Monterey, California area. Coming west, yep. Right, um, at Fort Ord. And, and then he told us a lot about what growing up there was. And he, he was actually bused. He was like the first group of students that were bused from Seaside, California to Monterey to go to Monterey High School. And that's all kind of um, chronicled in the first part. Yeah, and I do remember when he said they couldn't, he said the South was not an option uh, for them to go and relocate. And I asked, and he said it very matter-of-factly, and I asked him, like, well, you know, were you guys, were your parents, do you remember any bitterness, any anger uh, f from your parents within your household at that time because of that? Because I think it would be very easily to, to be angry or bitter at that situation. He said, no. He said, we just, we just moved west. Um, we just made a decision. And I think that kind of, to me, that kind of shows a little bit about how Herm was raised and how Herm has operated throughout his life uh, because he's been fired. Um, he, you know, he, he, he's had some setbacks in his professional career and did it bother him to get fired? Of course. We'll, we'll get into that in a second. But you know, he just seems to like move on. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to strike me as a guy who really focuses on the negativity of things. He just moves on uh, and lives his life. Yeah, and I think the other thing that um, kind of worked for me in the first part of the story was, <clears throat> if people have noticed on his Twitter account, he's been putting a lot of sort of motivational things up there, right. um, directed mainly to his players, actually. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> like, well, some things are very to the point, like, don't do anything you shouldn't do this weekend. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but yeah. there's a lot of higher-level motivational stuff in there. And from some of the people that I talked to, including his high school coach, and some other people, you could see where a lot of this stuff came from. Mm -hmm. So I was able to take some of these tweets, <laughs> put them into the, into the first part, and you could see, okay, this is how this links to where Herm Edwards is right now and what his thinking is and what the message he's trying to get across to his players. Yeah, that was a nice touch, uh, inserting the tweets there. The second part was about his playing career. Um, and, you know, and when, when Herm, we touched on all this when Herm was hired, but there was just so much of it that we really never had a chance to go in depth on it. Um, you know, coming, being in, first of all, his college careers were 
up and down. I mean, we're all over the place. Right. Uh, Which is in the first part, too, <clears throat> about how he was at Cal, went to junior college, came back to Cal, <laughs> ended up at San Diego State. That right. part alone is just a very interesting um, little slice of his life. Yeah, and there's a lot of context there that you'll have to – I don't want to give away all of our um, – reporting and, and, and story if you haven't seen it and you will understand why he moved from place to place um, the third part was just just to jump ahead a little bit the third part was about his coaching career uh, in the NFL and then the final part which has not posted yet which is not um, run yet is obviously in the newspaper is about just his his life at ESPN and how you know he kind of got that itch to return to coaching so Let's talk about the reporting of it a little bit, Jeff. You talked to his sister. You mm -hmm. talked to his former high school coach. Uh, you talked to Roman Gabriel. Uh, <laughs> that, that's an interesting story. Dick Vermeil. Uh, what did you learn? Was there anything that stuck out in those conversations? Uh, and I know that they all dealt with different parts of his life, but mm -hmm. was there any theme or any, what, what stood out from you from those conversations? Um, I think um, that who you see is who he really is. I guess they all reinforce that this is not phony. <laughs> right. And so what we see, what we've seen in the spring, what we're going to see going forward, this is really who this gentleman is. And um, I think his sister is understandably very proud of him. And yet when, when I talked to her, I think that there were, there's a, um, there's, there's sort of a, I don't want to just be Herm Edwards' sister. And I don't base my whole identity on being Herm Edwards' sister. There was, they just had a family wedding uh, the very end of June. <clears throat> and one of his sisters, his sister's son got married. And the wedding was supposed to be on the same day as ASU's home opener. And which would be a problem. <laughs> which would be a problem. And it may have been scheduled before Herm took the job. I'm not sure. But then he told his sister... I can come if you can change the date. So they changed the date to June 30th. And <clears throat> it was held in um, Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is where his sister and his mother, who's 93 years old, who's suffering from, from Alzheimer's, um, but she lives with the sister. She's in the same community as the sister um, who's helping to take care of her. Anyway, Herm showed up at the wedding and... Um, the amount of people that did not know that Herm Edwards was her brother was said it shocked a lot of people at the wedding. And they they were sort of looking around going, Isn't that Herm Edwards? And they didn't really know. So I found that really interesting that as you know, they're close, they're a couple years apart and they're close, but there there's sort of a separate thing going on there where it's not one just dependent on the other right, right. so I found that interesting that sure. part of the family dynamic interesting too sure and uh, I really enjoy talking to Vermeil and Gabriel there I think Vermeil is 83 and Gabriel might be 79 now but I mean just to talk to them not knowing what age they are you would think they could jump in and coach with Herm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right, right now you know um, very dynamic very um, enthusiastic in their conversations about him and the stories he told us they pretty much echoed those exactly the way Herm told us those stories yeah when we talked with Herm I would say 75 percent of our time was spent on his upbringing uh, his early years Maybe his a little bit his playing years, and as you know, he just kept going on for so long. Uh, 
the coaching years, not as much. I hit, we asked him about the high points, obviously the low points, uh, a little bit about his ESPN days, a little bit about his relationship with Ray Anderson. But so when I took over and did part three about his coaching years, I had to do a lot of outside reporting. So I talked to, you know, John Lynch, who played for him in Tampa, Tony Dungy, uh, obviously um, Chad Pennington, who took forever to get a hold of. <laughs> it was so frustrating. I, I, got, I finally got his cell phone number, and I texted him. It was all good. We set up a date. He's getting ready to jump on a plane. Finally got his, you know, finally texted him back, said, let's do it tomorrow. Well, he was dealing with his horses. So finally, I mean, it was like the last day before I had to turn the story in. I just wrote the story with him. So I'm like, I'm not going to get him. He just called uh, out of the blue, and, and it was great. But the the, the the really I think the first thing is that he didn't want to be a head coach did that yeah. did that surprise you it did surprise me um, and you know I kind of ended the second part hinting at that right. that you know he w- he envisioned himself being you know a, a high level secondary coach right. that's what he saw for himself and that was interesting to me because he seems like the guy that's always got the big vision right. And yet, in this case, he didn't seem to have it, at least initially. Mm-hmm. And then he got in, and then other people are like, hey, you're next, man. You're next. You're going to be the next, you know, African-American, you know, NFL head coach. Yeah. And eventually, he, he kind of saw the vision of that. Right. Yeah. He, he said, you know, that Tony Dungy kept pushing him, saying, like, the game needs you. <laughs> you know, the game needs more minority coaches. Uh, there were only – I went back and checked. There were only two at that time, Tony Dungy and Denny Green at Minnesota – uh, Washington did have somebody but uh, that took over on an interim basis the last three games of the season. But, uh, you know, he was only a coach for, the, for those three games. But, you know, I, I even talked to, to Herm's wife, Leah Edwards, about this. And, you know, I asked her about that, about, you know, and she didn't really come out and say that he did not want to be a head coach. But she just said she did definitely confirm. She goes, Tampa was great. You know, she said, <laughs> first of all, she said for the family, they were living in Florida. It was awesome. Uh, you know, she said, and, you know, Herm even said, like, as, you know, I looked at Marty Schottenheimer when I was in Kansas City. I looked at Tony in, in Tampa, all the distractions that they have to deal with that come across their desks, all the responsibilities, all the pressure from the media and the fans. And you just thought, like, who wants that? You know, mm-hmm. I have, I'm the assistant head coach here. Um, you know, it's, it's a good life. But, you know, I think, I think Tony kind of kept pushing him, and I think Herm warmed up to it. And, you know, it's kind of funny how, it all kind of turned, you know, how he got the job when he was at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, that's a very good story. Yeah. <laughs> and Ray and Anderson. That's kind of how you start your the third part. Yeah, of it. Ray Anderson just came up to him, and uh, you know, Ray Ray was representing Herm at that time, and handed him his phone, said, "You need to take this call." And it was Woody Johnson, the the owner of the Jets, and you know, Herm accepted without even knowing what he was going to be paid. And um, it, it was interesting. And my point, and when I, you know, there there are a million different ways you could tell these stories. But my point in in writing the third part, Jeff, was just to kind of show what kind of coach he was. Not so much about, you know, he ran the ball on, you know, sixty three percent of the Eagles' possessions. They ranked in the top ten in turnovers produced. Um, you know, all of that's relevant. But I just want to kind of show what kind of coach he was and he was a player's coach and sometimes people can kind of get the wrong idea about you know players coaches you lose control of the locker room but he had a different way of going about it he, he really relies on veteran leadership and there were some interesting stories that came out of that which I thought the most interesting was you know the fact that he doesn't sit in the front of the plane he sits in the back yeah yeah that's right yeah mm-hmm. and uh you know I ta- I've talked to some other NFL players about that and they said no <laughs> almost every coach sits in first class and that's that's kind of rare and 
you know, Herm said that he did that because he, he, he doesn't have to turn around. He could see the whole plane. He could see everybody back there. Uh, but, you know, different players had different opinions on that. Kevin Mawai said that he felt like that was a reminder for, for Herm, you know, uh, from where he came from, an undrafted guy, uh, which I don't know if people really realize. He was an yeah. undrafted guy who started just about every game of his career. He did. 135 straight games for the Eagles. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Uh, so, and then, you know, Chad Pennington, I did not put this in the story. He felt like it was just Herm's way of saying, like, I'm not any better than you guys. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the goal of that. Uh, and a lot of these stories that he told us kind of were little, kind of turned things from what you might expect, expect him to have heard, right. you know. And, like, I remember we asked him, um, well, a couple times we asked him, tell us about the miracle at the Meadowlands, this, this play that, as a player that he's well known for. And he said a little bit about it, but when he, when he talked about it, he talked about it in a much bigger context yeah, he did. of what just making that play kind of gave confidence to all the Philadelphia Eagles that we can be a higher level team. Right. And a couple of years after that, they were in the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't so much like patting himself on the back that, that I picked up this weird fumble and ran 26 yards in for a touchdown and all that. It was more the bigger context of things, yeah. you know. And he didn't even say that was the highlight of his playing career for him. Nope. The height of his playing career was when, when he walked out the first time he got introduced in his very first game. And it's kind of like, wow, I made it from Seaside representing all these people from my hometown and here I am in the NFL I did it mm-hmm. you know that that meant more to him than anything else I do remember that we I think we did ask him about the the miracle play and then we we came back to it even and he you're right he did he he kind of deflected a little bit of that praise um on that topic which really was the only thing I think that he really deflected any, <laughs> anything um the final part will be about just you know, how he went from coach from, you know, he got fired at in Kansas City. Um, he went to ESPN and what those years were like. And, and that hasn't posted yet. And the whole point of that, I talked to a lot of people at ESPN. Um, I talked to his wife. What, what, what did they take from that? And it, I think it says, to me, that story is more about, like, when he, when he puts his mind. Have you read that part yet? Not yet. Okay, when he, when he puts his mind to something, it's 100%. Mm-hmm. And... What you see from him is not fake. It wasn't like, uh, you know, when the lights came on, then he turned it on. And that was kind of my concern when he was hired, you know, at the fir- after the first press conference. And I think I've mentioned this before. I'm like, wow, we're going to get press conference term all the time. <laughs> and, I t- and what I've learned is it's like there is no press conference term. There's just term. <laughs> you know, he's just always like that. And it's not fake. It's not, you know, he, he doesn't act a certain way because the cameras are on. Um, you know, and then a little bit about whether or not people kind of thought that he would come back uh, to coaching. And, you know, there was a little bit of difference of opinion there. But, um, but I, I think, you know, I, I'm proud. I think we've – I'm really proud of the series. Mm-hmm. I think we, we, set, we achieved what we set out. Now, when, I don't know about you, but, you know, when I like to talk to, and I got a lot of them, but I didn't get all of them. You know, I, I would like to have talked to Terry Bradway, the GM at the at – the, um, at the Jets when he was hired. Uh, There's the G- more material to mine than where you're going. <laughs> well, I mean, you just, you just try to, you know, you just cast out a wide net and try to get as many different opin- opinions as you can. And, you know, at one point, Jeff, I thought, man, I have all these people. Like John Lynch, I knew I could probably get because he was the GM of the 49ers and they have media people. I knew I could get a message to him. 
but he's also, you know, the godparent of the godfather of Herm's oldest son. And I think Herm's, uh, or and uh, Herm is God, or Herm and Leah are godparents to John Lynch's kids. And you know, they just went to a Taylor Swift concert a, a month or two ago. So I mean. So I knew they were going to speak very positive. I knew he was going to speak very positively of Herm, but I tried to find somebody who would give me the other side. Like, well, you know what? Here's what happened in New York. I couldn't find anybody. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to find people uh, who, I mean, there's always somebody you can find and go like, well, off the record, I could tell you this, or everybody. Even I even called, you know, I looked up a sports talk radio host in Kansas City. If anybody's going to be negative, I don't want to say I was trying to dig up dirt or anything. I was just trying to, you know, journalistically balance the right, story out right i call a guy in kansas city who's been there for 20 years and he he has nothing but great things he goes everybody here loved Herm. it just didn't work out it was you know everybody yeah. who hired him left it was you, and then the more people i talked to is like yeah you're not gonna find anybody who doesn't like Herm." yeah i agree with that and and i think that's because foundationally he is a very likable solid person mm -hmm. and so yeah you're gonna have some disagreements along the way maybe it, Something's going to work out, not going to work out. He told us some stories about Kansas City about why it didn't work out. Yep. Um, but I don't think I don't think that pushes over into, you know, this is just a bad guy. It was a horrible hire. He doesn't know what he's doing. I don't get that vibe about him at all. He's no. not real. You don't. You never. I don't think anybody. It's going to be hard to find somebody who says, "Well, yeah, TV Herm's really a fake guy." <laughs> right. Right. So the goal of the series is not to convince anybody that ASU made the right hire. It's not to make you think that, you know what, this is going to work out. And that's kind of how I ended part four is I talked to the people that, who are closest to him, who know him the best, and asked them, you know, what do you think is going to happen in, at ASU under Herm Edwards? And they even said, I'm not going to give too much away, but they even said, like, you know what, we can't predict that. Mm -hmm. But they said, here's what we think. Uh, so I hope you check it out. If you haven't seen it, Go back. Uh, I've been tweeting it out, and then once all four parts run, we'll both post um, all four parts so you can – they'll all be right there in front of you. But, you know, if you want to know who the man is, what motivates him, what he's like, you know, I, I think it would be very beneficial for you to yeah, check it out. Yeah, there, and there are some interesting photos. Um, <laughs> yeah. Leah Edwards yeah. was very thank, thankful uh, – we're thankful to her for helping us. His sister sent us some good photos. And there's some from his college years um, <laughs> and even his early playing years, but from his college years in particular, like, wow, that is, that is quite a cool look there. <laughs> He's you know, a cool cat. Yeah. No yeah, doubt about that. Yeah. So uh, some of those photos are worth taking a look at, too, if you haven't seen them. Yeah. <laughs> said, I did not look nearly that cool in the 70s. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're making up for it now. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I'm just hanging on now. <laughs> let's, let's shift into something that I know fans uh, for sure noticed, and that is the cancellation of Camp Town Arizona, which is really a bummer. Um, I was really looking forward to going up there, not because of the new field, but you know, for, for just a reporting standpoint, I know it's early in camp, but Camp Town Arizona is just a perfect break. It kind of breaks it up. You go up there and, you know, you, there are different stories. You have better access. The weather's better. <laughs> you know, it cools off at night. Well, and we were looking forward to see what term Edward's going to be like up there. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, th I think there's a lot of interesting, what would he have said? You know, he's kind of lobbied to have it be called Camp Cush now. <laughs> yep. How much was he going to push that? And, you know, I just think I was really looking forward to just his reaction to the whole thing up there. Yeah, and just to give you an idea about, 
you know, and we, we've written we've written the story of how Herm has kind of become a national story. The New York Times was planning to go to Camp Town Arizona this mm-hmm. year. ESPN, uh, Matt Berry, I know you guys know him, an ASU grad. Uh, he was planning to go. I heard to to ES or to Camp Town Arizona. So you know, I've never seen the New York Times at, at Camp Town Arizona. <laughs> no. So yeah, I I don't know. So this I've been up there a bunch, but I don't remember yeah. uh, unless it was just a quick hit. But yeah. I'm not sure. Right. So, and the reason they gave uh, is that the field, the turf field that they're put in, uh, which we've reported on, is not quite ready. Now, Jeff, you, you were on a conference call with some mm-hmm. important people about this. You can talk about it a little bit more than I, I can. But, you know, it's – I don't know about you, but I've received a little bit of backlash from fans going like, you know, it's, and it's bad timing because the stadium was delayed and it's not done yet. And now the Tanazona thing is, is not going to happen this year. What 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 do you take from your uh, – well, I know there are people that, that are like, what the heck? They've had plenty of time to get this field put in. Mm-hmm. Um, they're blaming the construction company. They're blaming Ray Anderson. <laughs> you know, really? They're, they're blaming Ray? Yeah, there's been a lot of backlash about how you know this is mishandled not to have this ready in time. And it's hard for me to know. You know, All I know is when I was on the conference call, the gentleman, that, the facilities gentleman whose name's escaping me right now, plus Gene Boyd was on there. They were saying that from the time that we were able to start after the quote-unquote end of winter, if you want to put it that way, up until we got to the point where we got, the, we got two layers of aggregate down on the field, <clears throat> but the field, the, the surface is just not dry enough to handle putting the heavy machinery on there that they need to put the next layer on, which is, I think, called a shock pad, before they put the turf on. And they said, unless that's flat and dry, they're not going to be able, they're not going to put it on, and then they're going to do, it's not going to be a satisfactory job to get the field in. Now, should all that have been done further, you know, in advance to the point where they didn't have to worry about the range up there and whether the place is dry or not, I don't, I don't really know to say, but I, here's my opinion. I don't think they should rush it and put the field in the wrong way. I don't think they should try to send players up there if they're, they're not comfortable with the safety of the whole thing. I don't think it's that big of a deal to miss Tanazona for one year to get it done right. So if I'm jumping a little bit on board <laughs> with the company line here, so be it. But I mean, I'm not gonna do, if I'm ASU's athletic department, I don't wanna get it done wrong. I don't want to spend that money and get it done wrong. Well, you have one pro, former NFL coach Dennis Erickson come back, canceled Tanazona. Now Dennis, or, uh, Herm Edwards is here, comes back. Camp Tanazona is not delayed. able to go. <laughs> yeah. I'm just joking. I, I don't know. I don't think that has anything to do with it. No, that. no. We know Edwards wants to go. Yeah. We, um, we, know, we know the administration wants to be up there. I mean, we've already seen the plans to you know, expand the place and make it even nicer. So Yeah, yeah. It, yeah they have big, big plans for Tanazona. Um, you know, we had been, we had heard that it might be, the field might've been done in late June. Um, and I actually asked, or it just said like, Hey, I'm, I talked to some ASU people and said, Hey, I'm going to go up there and take some pictures of the new field. And they said, well, hold off on that. It's not done. Um, and then actually our editor, Todd Kelly was, I think coming back from the white mountains and said he was going to go by there. So he stopped and snapped some photos of the field and 
and that was just a couple of weeks ago. When I saw when I saw that, I thought, wow, that's yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look like it's close to being done. I don't know the logistics of you know someone pointing out on Twitter saying like, wow, it's been kind of dry up here in this area, and for them to say that you know water is causing a problem that doesn't make a lot of sense. But I don't know how if you keep digging down, you run into mo- moisture. I'm not sure. About well, that. and they also told me that there's there's drainage issues for water that drains down there. Now they told me once the fields end it will drain properly. Right. But right now there's issues that's that are part of the factor yeah. in not being able to get this next phase done in time. And I think when they decided at the end of last week to do it, they took it as far as I this was my impression that they took it as far as they could before we just can't we gotta make a decision here. Right. Can we get this done or not? And yeah. at that point, there was only maybe three weeks to go, and I, I think they felt like we're just we just can't. They're saying now that it might not be done until like early September. Right. No, unfortunate, but I, I do know that nothing is easy at, at Town of Zona. Just the way you know, it ha- just right. I mean, everything kind of uh, filters down, flows down to that field, and you know, just to get things back there. You know, I'm not surprised that you know there's there's some hangups, but and I also agree that. You want to get it right. Right. Um, That's the biggest thing is why spend the million dollars and then say we rushed and got it, right. screwed it up, and we could, now we got to fix it the next time around. I just, I don't see the point of that. Yeah. The one thing I don't know, there, there's, at that point, at the end of last week, they weren't sure what they were going to be able to do as far as um, opening up practices for fans like they did in the spring. Um, if, they, if they held a scrimmage because they can't do it at the stadium, They'd, they'd have the same issue that they had with the spring game where they only had so much room at, holding at the soccer stadium. So that was going to be an issue. So as of the end of last week, that was all kind of up in the air um, as far as fan viewing opportunities go. My, I wouldn't be surprised if they do open up a few practices or have some sort of a event. Uh, I think they'll try. I yeah. do. I think, I think just at the end of last week, they just didn't know right. yet. Unfortunately, fans, you, because of fire codes, you can't go in the bubble. So it's it's probably going to be one of those situations where everyone's standing outside in 100-degree heat or 110-degree heat. But um, unfortunate, you know, but I think next year will be even better. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, and from the team-building standpoint, aspects of Tanazona, it's hard to replicate those down here. I think they're going to try to come up with some ways to do it. And we'll p- report on those when we find out what they are. But, you know, that might be the biggest thing is, you know, how can you kind of get that camaraderie going that everybody speaks so highly about every time ASU has a good season. <laughs> it's like it started to camp on the zona right, and, right. you know, we built this great, you know, chemistry and everything, you know. So we'll have to see how they can, how they can do that down here. Is that legit? I've always felt like that's a little bit overrated. Well, I think Dennis Erickson did. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. It's so hard to say. Um, it is hard to say. I think when you have a good season, though, you're going to go back to what were the foundational things that helped you launch that. And it all, in the years that it's always started at Tonazona, that's the obvious, you know, place to, to build off. You know, the, the, the two Rose Bowl teams and some of the other good teams that, that have come along here in recent years. Recent years, I say not it's not not as recent as fans would like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But do I think it's going to have a big impact on this on the results of this season? To be honest, I don't. Now, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I, I don't 
I think they're going to be excited about the new coaching staff. I think they're going to be excited to um, make this season as good as they can. I don't think not being a ton of zone is going to be that detrimental. Speaking of uh, this season, did you see John Wilner posted uh, of the San uh, Jose Mercury News posted his his uh, Pac-12 media ballot? No, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, Arizona State last in the South. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I I get it. I, I do. Um, the defense, I I mean, obviously huge concerns there, but you know you have a three-year starter returning mm-hmm. at quarterback, and one of the top five best receivers in college football. You should have an improved offensive line. I I don't see that in the schedules. Incredibly difficult. It is. Yeah. I mean, I I just I don't. I think they're going to be a little bit better than what people think. I I don't know if that means fourth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I'm not. Gonna, I haven't done my ballot yet, but you're, I'm not going to put them second. Uh, but. You know, I think they'll be a little bit better than what people – I don't think they're going to finish last in the South. I do too, and I also think there's going to be a lot of parity in that. Yeah, the South will be nuts. Yeah. Um, you know, you can give USC whatever props you want. And, you know, UCLA has a new coach. Um, I think some people have some good feelings about Utah, that, that this might be a, a pretty – you know, they always have a solid year anyway. Right. But it might be even a little bit above that. Um Arizona's obviously got Tate, but they've got a new coach and they've got some changes too. So, and Colorado's coming off, you know, a bit, an up year, a down year, now where? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, no one's ever going to, no, Colorado will never underachieve. I mean, yeah. they're always going to be in a situation where they overachieve because, you know, people just always slot them in that fifth or sixth spot. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna have to really. I hate. I hate media polls and all that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, after after USC and maybe Utah, depending how you feel about them, yeah. I, I'm. I think you could make. You, you could make a case for a lot of combinations for the next four after that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> USC is always a reputation type pick. Uh, you know, and they do have the best talent if you look at their roster, uh, even though they do have some uncertainty at quarterback. Utah is. You could maybe make an argument that maybe they're the team with the fewest question marks, but you know what's what's their ceiling? I mean, is there? I would probably put their quarterback as maybe the third best in the South. Yeah. Maybe maybe fourth. They're yeah. probably third, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to. That, that'll be interesting. All that will come out on Pac-12 Media Day. Are you doing a ballot? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you done your ballot? No, but I'm glad you reminded me. <laughs> to be honest with you, yeah, I, I, I usually try to do those things right away, so I don't it doesn't fall through the cracks. Yeah. But I'm glad you reminded me. Um, also, um, I think that uh, I, I I may be wrong about this, but I don't believe that I have ever covered an ASU football team that had three or fewer wins. I think the lowest I may have ever covered a team for ASU was like a four win team. Yeah. That was the that was Rudy's junior year, Rudy Carpenter's junior year, senior year. I, I just remember the year that that everyone was really excited about the Georgia game. And they lost to Vegas right before that. That that season went south really quickly. Yeah, but I, I just think if you go back and find the try to find the last three wins, a lot of people are putting ASU at three wins. That's why I'm saying this. The last time ASU only had three wins was a long, long, long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, that doesn't preclude them from having a three-win season, but I think it's going to be more just, you know, take it for what it is right now on July 18th. I think it's more likely to be a little bit under or above 500 
depending which way it goes. And I build that up, what I think they have on offense. I do like the two additions on the offensive line combined with what they already have returning, the two transfer additions. Um, I think, you know, Benjamin's going to be good as a running back. Um, I, I think beyond Nikhil Harry, they have quality receivers. We never mentioned Kyle Williams. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's uh, – And what, so put up then, then what are we year. left with? We're left with what's going to happen on defense, which is exactly what we were left with last year. <laughs> yeah. And really the two years before that when it didn't turn out so well. Last year it turned out a little bit better. So if anybody can answer right now what, how good or how effective this defense is going to be good for them, because I just don't think you can answer that question yet. Yeah, that is the big question. And, you know, they're playing a scheme that they haven't recruited for yet for the most part. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, I, I did want to talk about uh, hiking with Bobby Hurley. <laughs> um, th this started I – don't, I don't remember. I remember sitting on my couch. I was looking – I had my computer up, and I saw a video of him pop, pop up on Twitter, and I, and I clicked on it, and it, he said something about how he enjoyed going hiking, that there's a trail that he runs and his wife walk um, at times. So I just texted him and said, like, hey, I heard you like to hike. Um, you know, and I just kind of explained to him, like, when you, got, when you took this job, everyone, there was a significant, at least from the people I talked to, there was a significant segment of the fan base who was concerned about once you'll have success, you're going to go back east somewhere. Uh, where you're from, you know, so would you mind next time you go, can I come along and we just talk about, you know, how you've adjusted to life in Arizona? And surprisingly, he said, sure. He said, let's, uh, he said, we're going to have a press conference. He said, let's find a date and we could do it. So we settled on it. And we went out to, <laughs> we went out to his house. Um, it was me and a photographer, Dave Wallace, who's very talented. Of course, he lives in a gated community. And, you know, I pulled up there like 645 and the guy said, who are you here to see? Like, I'm here to see Bobby Hurley. He goes, what's your name? So he called and came back and goes like, all right, you're free to go. I'm like, uh, I said, I said, did you wake them up? And he goes, I think so. I go, was it a woman? And he goes, yeah. So I, I didn't want to wake up his wife or his family, but basically I did. But, but anyway, we drove to this place. And, you know, I was thinking, Jeff, you know, hike, you know, 60 minutes. It's, it, the loop is four and a half miles. Mm -hmm. So he said, we're going to walk it. He goes, It'll, it usually takes about two hours and – First of all, for, for a coach at that level, like a basketball coach or a football coach giving a reporter, giving up two hours of his day to do something like that, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So I was really, I mean, it was really appreciative that Bobby would let us do that. Of course, we mic'd him up, um, you know, but it was really hot. But it, it, was, it was great, you know, and you know, just the, the thing that stood out is just the guy's competitiveness, <laughs> you know. We, we were talking, he put his, he let his team run it, put it through last year, let them run the trail, and he said he started from his house and then they ran the trail, which you could run for the most part. It was uphill. I think there's maybe a 50-yard stretch, maybe a 100-yard stretch that you couldn't run because it was a little too rocky. But for the most part, he, you know, he runs that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and he sets goals. He, try, he, he times himself. He challenges himself to try to – Which was my favorite anecdote <laughs> in the entire story, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, he set a time, I think, an hour and 15 minutes or something, and he was 51 seconds. Yeah, uh, and he was mad. Off, and he was mad. Yeah. <laughs> so, and and I, you know, he just he said he goes like, well, just you know, when basketball's not in season, I just need something to kind of, you know, just challenge myself and, um, you know, and I even said like, like I'm gonna say not to not to say you're a competition addict, and he even stopped me. He goes like, no, no, you know, <laughs> I, I am. So just, you know, uh, just an intense 
guy. And the other thing is, you know, when people see Bobby Hurley on, on, at, on games, and, yeah, he is intense, incredibly intense. But he's, he's, when he's not around that, I mean, you could still it's, – it's underneath, but he's, a, he's about as approachable as a, as a coach that I've dealt with. I mean, he's really kind of down to earth. I mean, you would think – all coaches have egos. There's no doubt about that. But um, it's hard to detect with him. So it, it was it was fun. It was good. You know, I thought about it at first when he said I run it. I thought like, okay, well maybe maybe I should run it with him because that's what he normally does. He just walks it with his wife usually like on Sundays after after game after Saturday games. But then you know you can't really talk, and I don't know if I would have made it anyway. But um, it was it was good. Well, was, Dave Wallace was a good guy to have along because he's an outdoors. Yes. Uh, photographer, videographer, <laughs> supreme. Well, he just went down the Grand Canyon uh, on a big raft trip. So, you know, he was a good person to have with you. Yeah. And not only that, but, uh, you know, Dave's from Jersey. So, oh, yeah. okay, <laughs> so Bobby's go. from Jersey. So, so, and that's what we talked about. We spent an hour, the first hour of the, of the hike, we talked about how he's adjusted to the desert, um, what he likes about it. We talked a lot about hiking and how, you know, the challenging part of it, how he challenges himself, you know, getting away from kind of unplugging during the season and, and, and walking with his wife, which he said, even his wife had to tell him sometimes, like, you need to slow down, wait for me. Um, so that was the first part of it. And then the second part, we talked basketball a little bit. Um, well, a lot, actually, on the way back down. And those stories were separated into two different parts as well. But, you know, a, a guy from Buffalo tweeted at me and said, like, he said the same things when he was here. You know, coaches are always going to leave for the better opportunity. And they, you're right, they are. But there's also a difference in a coach who I think can, can set up a life outside of the gym mm-hmm. or outside of the football field. And, you know, Arizona fans – I've tweeted this. Arizona fans don't like it when I say this. But that would be my concern with Kevin Sumlin. <laughs> you, know, you know, is he – does he have vision for two, in Tucson? Does he, you know, want to settle there and try to build something, or is he going to try to max out quickly and cash in and go somewhere else? I don't know. Um, that I think that's that's a fact. I mean, everybody does that. I mean, yeah, and I, I think as long as Bobby's got the connections in the East that he's got, which are not going to go away, and right. people aren't going to forget them or think less of him, you know, at any point. Is he, if he does well here, that's only going to grow. In terms of people saying, you know, yeah, we we want you in the ACC, we want you at whatever school, you know. Now, of course, if Duke comes along, <laughs> if Duke comes along, yeah, he's he's gone as yeah. he should be. Um, if somewhere, if it's somewhere else, you know, I think it might be a little bit harder of a, of a choice of a decision to make than people think. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, you know, the schools that original initially, you know, after he had some success that I would have been concerned about would be Seton Hall, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh. Um, not so much Rutgers, but, you know, St. John's, you know, te- schools like that where he could go, where he knows the recruiting landscape, you know, it's close to his family. Th- those, I think now that they've, now that he has had some success here, he's starting to build something here. Recruiting's getting a little bit easier because of the success they've had. Uh, the fans are behind him. He mentioned that and how important that was. And, you know, the administration has stepped up and, you know, did what they needed to do mm-hmm. and extended him and, gave him a huge bump in salary. I mean, I think just a few days before our hike, he got his, his extension kicked in and he got a $700,000 uh, pay raise. So mm-hmm. obviously that would make anybody happy. <laughs> you know, I would go right. hiking with a, with a, you know, annoying reporter if I got a $700,000 pay <laughs> well, raise. And the work's going to begin on Wells Fargo. Yeah. It's coming up, you know. So, yeah, I mean, there, there are – I'm not saying that he wouldn't go. I, I, 
you know, I know there are plenty of people that think within five years he'll be gone. <laughs> yeah. You know, that he'll succeed enough here and he'll get an offer that's just too good for him to turn down. But that may, And that may happen. But I don't know that that's automatic either. I, I, I may have... I may have thought when he first got here that it was more automatic than I think it is right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, like, and yeah, and I just think it's encouraging that he has, like I said, found a life kind of outside of basketball. These these guys are extremely driven, extremely focused on, you know, what they're doing. It dominates their life, obviously. I mean, it has to. That's that's the job. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and, and I think ASU has stepped up. So I think, you know, any opportunity that, that he has – uh, come up, and I think he he will because I think they're going to have a good season this year. You know, I just think it's it's not something that he will jump to as you know in the past maybe a different coach or maybe you know someone else would have. Yeah, I think we shouldn't take for granted that he's physically able to go out and do things like what you did. You know, either walking that hike or running that running on that trail or whatever. Because that auto accident that he was in <clears throat> when he was a pro playing in the NBA that people sometimes forget the severity (laughs) of that accident and you know it's in some ways a miracle that he's doing what he's able to do physically now yeah well and we talked about that a little bit uh you know because I was I was talking to him all about his fitness and you know he says he can't do a lot in the weight room Mm -hmm. he's learned to to kind of adjust and he can do what he can do because of the accident and he also said what I thought was very telling is that his body feels better out here Mm -hmm. than it has in other places he has worked um, so I, you know, I think that's relevant. So, and yeah, I mean, that, that is a huge part of it. Um, and also I think, I, I don't know, I didn't ask him about this, but if you're, if you're a basketball coach at Arizona in Tucson, you know, you go out hiking or you go out certain places, it's going to be hard. <laughs> I mean, cause when you're in a small college town, everyone knows who you are and you're going to attract attention no matter where you go. Um, here, you know, there's a little bit more anonymity involved, you know, and, and part of that has to do with, you know, with ASU basketball. But, you know, we passed several people on the hike, and I don't know if they, you know, they didn't, they all said they were all friendly, which he said is something else that he enjoys about Arizona is that when you say, when you pass people, they say hi to you. And mm-hmm. he said that wasn't always the case in Jersey. Um, you know, so I don't know if they, they recognize them as much. So, I mean, maybe, I don't even know if that's important to him. Maybe some people like to be recognized. I don't mm-hmm. know. But uh, that is one thing that the Valley provides. It's so big. It's a pro market, so you can kind of live your life. Yeah. Now, I got a question for you before we have to go, but did have you seen the photo with Remy Martin with his beard? <laughs> I did see that, yes. See, because I'm like, no, cut that beard off. I don't <laughs> like that. Now, I don't know if this is a James Harden, you know, uh, duplicate thing going on here or what, but, you know, I know he looks older with the beard <laughs> and he looks very young without the beard but um you know it, it wasn't my favorite look i don't know what you thought <laughs> <laughs> well we have breaking news on the asu pick six podcast jeff is not a fan of the beard uh, i'm kind of scruffy right now too um yeah i saw it i mean i don't know if it's a james harden thing or not i, I don't see how anybody has a beard in the summer out here yeah I, I can't understand that i mean manny wilkins has been wearing one i don't see how you play football with one yeah uh but yeah, I did see that. Um, it, it, yeah, it's. I think it's an exciting time to cover ASU athletics, just because you know of the Herm uncertainty factor, the stadium being built, Town of Zona being upgraded, uh, and the basketball program. You know, kind of what seems like it's, you know, going at it. I mean, keep in mind this program, the basketball program, hasn't made back-to-back NCAA tournaments since 1981. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's been some progress there. So. 
Yep, it is. It's going to be a really, really, um, I think they made some good progress this past the school year that just ended, and I think they're going to build off that, you know, for the coming school year. So I'm excited about it, too. One last thing we didn't mention, uh, ASU announced a home-and-home -home series with Texas A&M. That's pretty big. They continue to schedule pretty aggressively. Um, it's not going to happen until 2026, 27. Yeah, I think that's it. And then the LSU um, <laughs> series, well, the, the LSU away game, I think, got pushed back even further. One of the two LSU games, now they're back-to-back -back now. But the big joke about that, of course, was that ASU was supposed to go there in 2005. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I think by the time they actually get there, you know, it'll be – you know, 2030 or almost 2030 or something. <laughs> yeah, it'll be... Uh, and the game was switched in 2005 because of Katrina. Uh, so it, it was here at ASU instead of down there. And here after all this time, still haven't made the return game. I'm pretty <laughs> confident I will not be covering that game. Yeah, I'm, it'll probably be somebody else's responsibility, <laughs> not ours. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jeff, got anything else? Uh, congrats to Kent Summers for being our new columnist. I think we're both happy about that and happy for Kent, and uh, we expect to see him at some ASU, yeah. you know, athletic events, yeah. writing on those. Yeah, Kent, uh, I tweeted out, he's, he's, in my opinion, he's the most talented guy I've worked with uh, in 20 years. I mean, I guess I've been in this business 20 years, and I knew he wanted it. I've known he's wanted that job for a long time. I was happy to see him get it. Yep. All right, uh, so I don't know how long we went, but it was we had lots to discuss, so appreciate you hanging in there. Check out all the stuff, the Herm series um, online, because I think you'll really learn a lot about them. Uh, and that fourth part will roll out here shortly. And if you're just looking at the print product, the Arizona Republic, uh, they're a few days behind, so I think the second part will be coming up here within a matter of days. So uh, as always, thanks for listening. We will come back, and I'm pretty sure we'll do a, a camp preview type thing here in the next week or so. Yeah, maybe after uh, media day. After, yeah, after the, the Pac-12 media day next week. All right, until then, we'll see you soon.